What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Having Report. You got Brad Mines. I am your host. There's 72 days left until the next Bitcoin halving occurs. The price of Bitcoin is approximately 8,654 American dollars. Joe Biden has won the South Carolina primary with Bernie Sanders coming in second place. Our boy Flytie MMA is still on the ground, working hard, trying to get more and more people involved in the political process. He seems to be getting a lot more media press. I even seen a picture of him which appeared to show him on CNN. But what's really exciting is I have a special guest here today. He is the blockchain socialist and the moderator of the crypto leftist subreddit. How's it going, man? Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, of course. I finally did a little bit of more research on your on the podcast you were doing. It's oh, pretty yeah? cool. I mean, yeah, I think having it's a good mix having progressive politics and um, and blockchain in one. It's uh, I don't mean I don't know any other guy who's doing that. Yeah, well, uh, that's why your Twitter handle sort of stood out to me is because <laughs> usually it's a sea of libertarians out there. So being in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, you know, you hear how Bitcoin is. A tool of freedom but you don't really hear how much it, bitcoin and cryptocurrency can help create a more egalitarian society yeah. which I, I find personally it's just as important to mention uh, so that's why i kind of find your profile pretty interesting can i ask you what your uh like i know you don't want to give out your full identity but is there anything you can tell us about yourself in terms uh just for context of the interview maybe you have an educational background or uh, anything like that I think if I tell a bit how I got into crypto, maybe it, you know, there's some details into that because for sure, I was definitely going to ask you how you yeah. started to connect the dots about cryptocurrency. So if you want to talk about that, that'd be great. So for me, it started well. I had always known about Bitcoin specifically, um, but mostly just as a drug money. And the only people that I really knew who were using Bitcoin were people trying to buy drugs online to get them shipped to their house. So at at that point, it wasn't really very interesting to me, and I wasn't really aware of the, of the speculative nature of Bitcoin. But being a broke millennial and looking down the abyss of having a shitty underpaying job and, and student loan debt, I started looking into stocks and sort of, because I mean, I think a lot of millennials, I mean, at least if you're from the US like I am, it's just kind of frightening to look down several years of having to pay off your debts and then never being able to be truly free from it, except I mean, unless you pay it off in 10 years or so, if you're lucky. So I think um, getting into thinking about, you know, what are quick ways that I can just say, fuck you to my loan debt and, and be done with it. So eventually I was looking into stocks and eventually crypto just sort of popped up into that. So this was around 2016 uh, and Ethereum was sort of just starting and I started reading a lot more into it because I knew it was like Bitcoin but on top of that it had smart contracts and that's something that really piqued my interest because it seemed like there was a lot of potential for using that technology for left-wing causes. It can automate a lot of things that right now we are completely dependent on institutions, particularly capitalist ones and state institutions that we wouldn't need if we could just decide democratically what, how we want things to work and to just press a button and automate that. So it was something that in my head, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And at the same time, at this moment, it was, you know, right after Donald Trump was getting elected and I was becoming a lot more radicalized than I was before. 
I was still, I would consider myself uh, probably a socialist at that time too, but not a very well-read one. Then I really started to get into more of the socialist theory and at the same time reading about blockchain. And that's kind of how it started. See on your website on blockchainsocial.com, you have a meme and sort of a theme there, keep calm and seize the means of production. So uh, just a question about uh, your thoughts on socialism and do you think if the government should have its hands in everything or just some things, or do you think that we need to migrate aspects of our economy to a democratic, trustless blockchain? The question is loaded, I would say, because I think there's, first off, a huge misunderstanding of what socialism is. And this is just a a product of decades of misinformation and basically concerted efforts to undermine a sort of left-wing movement, I would say. So I disagree with the notion that socialism is for state-controlled anything, really. What socialism is, is much more broad, and it's a bigger idea. So I think in order to understand what my idea is, uh, when it comes to socialism and its relationship to blockchain, you kind of have to understand what is the, the context of socialism and where it comes from. So if so what socialism or what socialists believe is that in a very, very broad sense, I'm sure if another socialist listens to it, they'll say it a little bit differently. But if you take a step back and look at history, you have about four or five different points in human history that can be described as a certain mode of production. So in the very beginning of human history, Marx described this mode of production as proto-communism. So you had basically the small tribe and they would go out and hunt and gather the food that they needed and they would all share collectively uh, the fruits of their labor that they were able to collect. After some time, uh, we transitioned into slavery uh, So as the main means of production. So this is uh, largely in the era of like Greek and Roman times, you see the rise of the Athenian and the Roman empires. And so basically it was totally predicated on one group dominating another group, the one being dominated being the slaves and the other being the master. At the fall of the Roman Empire, you see a transition towards feudalism, which is a different mode of production in which as a peasant, you uh, farm the land and you give your crops, a, a chunk of that, to your lord. And your lord is under a king, and that king has a bunch of lords. Uh, and it's sort of this type of hierarchy. So you're either within the, the monarchy or you are a peasant. And that was the, the mode of production. Then you have a transition into capitalism, which largely happens progressively. So you had mercantile capitalism for a little bit, and then you had capitalism really being the dominant mode of production around the 1700s. So this is a a mode of production that's characterized by capitalists owning the means of production. So this is like the factories, this is the land, this is everything that you would need in order to produce goods. They own it and everyone else works for them. As a laborer, have to sell your labor on the market to a capitalist so that you can make a wage. And so during this rise around the 1700s, you had the classical economists, uh, Adam Smith and David Ricardo, who tried to explain and describe this new system of capitalism, saying that now 
you have the freedom to produce whatever you want and sell your labor to whomever you want. And this is, at the end of the day, is collectively a good thing. But then in the 1800s, you have the rise of the idea of socialism, which is really anti-capitalism. So you had first the utopian socialists. So if you look up a guy named Robert Owen, he's one of the probably the most famous utopian socialists, which is largely a movement against capitalism and capitalists because people were seeing how terrible it was. You know, all these children working in factories, all these people had to move from their farms towards the cities because their land was being bought up. All of these things were happening very quickly and people, some people weren't very happy about it. So what makes this big transition, I think, with Marx, with Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels uh, in the 1800s is that they create what they called scientific socialism, in which they're inspired by uh, other philosophers like Hegel, and they use the work there to create a new framework that they call historical materialism, which is basically just a more scientific way of analyzing history and economics. And its focus is on improving or for analyzing uh, the material conditions of classes of people and their relationship to production. And so Marxism, which is historical materialism, is really just a framework for analysis. And it's largely based on materialism. So what I think the really probably one of the best things that came out of this movement, uh, or the best theories, I should say, was Marx's labor theory of value. So he just made the observation that when you are working for a capitalist, the, since the capitalist has this relationship in that they own the tools and the things that you're using to make products for them, they are selling the goods that you make on a market and then they are paying you a wage that is worth less than the value of what they sold that product for. So in a way, they're exploiting you by simply because they own the things that you need to produce stuff. So as a laborer, you kind of lose out in that relationship. And so this idea is sort of pretty, is sort of revolutionary in a way. And it's one that I think is true even today. When any of us go to work, the only reason why we're, you know, our companies are, are still vi are viable in the market is because they sell goods at a higher price than the wage that they give you. So do you think that we need to make a complete transition or do we just need some sort of laws and regulations to dictate how much more we can sell market goods in comparison to how much we charge for labor? That is also a debate had within amongst socialists all the time, really throughout history. I mean, you have the people who, who think on one end, you know, capitalism is what we have and what we need to do is just limit as much as we can the exploitation, but we can never get out of capitalism. And then there are people who think that, no, we need to completely change out, just completely remove capitalism and instill new type of organization. I think personally, I'm more of the second one. I think that if we are to keep putting, like solely looking at it through the lens of adding more regulation on top of capitalism as a way to limit the exploitation, you're not solving the problem, actually. You're just sort of putting band-aids on top of the solution. So over time, this conflict between labor and capital 
is going to continue. And over time, as I think history shows, is that that battle is like a pendulum and it swings back and forth. So if you just keep the the institution of capitalism, then you're going to forever have this issue of, of exploitation. And they're going to fight very hard against it. Ideally, I, I would prefer to live in a society in which we produce goods based on human need rather than for profits. Okay, what do you say to the people who will come back and say, well, how do you create an incentivized economy? Capitalist society and the free market has given us all these great technologies that we have in modern day society and a socialist society may suppress that innovation. Yeah, and that's, that's something you hear a lot for sure. But I think it's really based on a misunderstanding of what socialism is still. I mean, the reason there's a misunderstanding is because of, I mean, a massive disinformation campaign, I think. But to say that capitalism uh, incentivizes innovation, I think, is a little bit absurd. If you look at, I mean, the vast majority of the innovations that were made in the last century, they were created out of state-funded research projects. Like NASA invented God knows how many different things that today we use regularly. Even the Internet. I mean, the Internet was a government project started in the 50s or 60s. And only at the point, at some point later that they made it a a good for anyone to use, uh, did really capitalism become sort of latched on to something that was not created through a capitalist mode of production. So I would say that capitalism already currently doesn't incentivize innovation. Um, Interesting. Most of the most of these things are created through funding and grants from the government. Yeah, and you know what? I, I did know that actually uh, that the internet was created by U.S. government, right? Back in right. would you say the the 60s or? Yeah, it was 60s or 50s. Um, don't quote me, but around that yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so you're in quite the the niche space here, uh, being on the left, being in cryptocurrency. I just wanted to ask you, where do you like to get your information from? Who do you, do you have any people that you look up to or uh, people you like to read, certain blogs? I mean, I have different sources for different types of information. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really good left-wing uh, news sources out there that give, uh, I mean, pretty good analysis of, of what's going on today. So, I mean, I don't know if you know, like the publication Jacobin, I think is really good. I, I'm i a really big fan of Chapo Trap House. I don't know if you know that podcast. I think they're they're pretty good. They're very much like, they're pretty controversial for some people, but um, I think their analysis is pretty good um, and they're pretty funny. So I usually take the things that I learn from left-wing news and from or other other people's analyses from a, from a left perspective, and I try to apply that towards blockchain in general. I think mm-hmm. right now blockchain blockchain space doesn't have really an explicitly left wing source. So I mean, I I have to use just a, I mean your average blockchain news sources, you know, CoinDesk and all those other ones, just to get the news. But I always read it from the my own perspective that is based, right. based on so, the left. So I think that's really good that you started your own subreddit and website so people can actually have a cryptocurrency perspective 
from the right. left. I wanted to ask you, a lot of people that are listening to my podcast or going to my website are people who are new to the space. So sometimes you have to keep it basic with just Bitcoin and not kind of talk about all these different cryptocurrencies. So I wanted to ask you, what traits does Bitcoin have that are appealing to people who are politically left if you were just to talk about Bitcoin? You mean Bitcoin specifically? Yes. I think, well, one of the things... I think if you are anti-establishment and you're going against the status quo, you always have to consider the possibility that you're going to be censored in some way. That could be through deleting your accounts on something, but it can also be not letting you receive money. And under this system of capitalism that we live, we need to have access to capital in order to, to exist and we needed to pay to pay bills, to pay ourselves, so we can have food to eat, etc. So if you're running an organization that is maybe even left wing and you happen to find yourself in a situation where the government or a lot of very giant corporations or capitalists are trying to prevent you from accessing capital or uh, and trying to censor you, then having something like Bitcoin could be a lifesaver. Uh, I think we have to consider the possibility that if the left really starts to take rise in the US or in other countries, that there's that there could be a crackdown similar to the Red Scare. And so if you want to fight back, you have to use all of the tools that are available to you. So I mean, I think the example of WikiLeaks is pretty good. You know, they were censored back when they first started. They couldn't, you know, you couldn't give money. PayPal wouldn't allow you to donate money to WikiLeaks. So they started accepting Bitcoin and they made a shit ton of money off of it. I mean, partially because the value of Bitcoin rose incredibly after that. And they got, I mean, kind of lucky to be honest, but you know, they were able to continue to survive. So I take it you support Bernie Sanders then for 2020 nomination? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> all right, I'm on. a Bernie bro. That's awesome. I know you haven't really spoke about this at all, but do you ever make price predictions? Or if someone asks you about it, what do you say? Personally, I don't really ever make any price predictions. I mean, it's purely speculative and it's very manipulable. But this is the same with the stock market. This isn't like particular to the crypto space, but these type, I mean, markets in general are not, in my opinion, very reflective of of utility or something like that. It's more, much more reflective of sentiment and what you think is going to happen in the future. If you look at like Tesla, it's way over, way overpriced per stock. I mean, it, it doesn't make nearly as much money as as if you were to add up its cap on the stock market. So I think it's similar in that way and with Bitcoin and with other cryptocurrencies that it's more about the story that you tell a lot of times than it is about the value that you bring. I mean, I think I mean there are plenty of projects that just uh, had a very good story, I think, and they didn't have and they had like huge price predictions, even though their project was shit. So I call my podcast The Having Report because my view is that the having has a great impact on the price of Bitcoin and you can kind of make predictions based on these approximate four-year halvings. So do you think that the having will have an impact on the price of Bitcoin or do you think it's already priced in? Whew, that's so hard for me to say. Like I think there was the the Litecoin having not too long ago as well. And I think that one it didn't I don't remember if it had that much of a of an effect on the price. Mm -hmm. I think there's 
I think in theory, it should have a huge impact on the price. But because the, I mean, how you value a, an, an asset is based on future price predictions. So it's pretty difficult for me to say. I think, I mean, in the long run, I think still it is likely that Bitcoin will rise in price. Uh, I think it's it would be foolish to say that Bitcoin is done, that it's going to just drop into non-existence. I think we're way past that point. And okay. but that's 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 with I think most cryptocurrencies, I think. Do you think there are any particular blockchains out there that are superior for a progressive community? That's something well that's part of what the reason I started my blog for and all the different communities uh, that I started. So like you mentioned before, I have the r slash crypto leftists uh, subreddit that I started. We also have a, a Discord channel. And then I also have my, my website. And so this is something that I'm really trying to explore. I mean, the reason that I really liked uh, Ethereum was because of the prospect of using smart contracts for, for essentially, in my opinion, what would amount to decentralizing middlemen out, the middlemen being capitalists. So I think... There is a potential in a lot of them, but that's largely because blockchain is a tool. So a tool doesn't have any sort of political motives. A hammer is a hammer, whether you're under capitalism or socialism, it's whether it's how you use it. So I think a platform with smart contracts, I think, is has a lot of potential. But I think it's going to take a little bit of time before we realize what are the specific things that a crypto leftist project would need in order to to create a, a, a project for us, essentially. So I think there's there's Ethereum is a possibility. It should be experimented with. I think other platforms that also have smart contracts should be experimented with. There is, I know Holochain is a project that a lot of people that I've talked to who are more left-leaning in the crypto space are are pretty um, interested in. I don't know too much about that project, but I know it's uh, technically, uh, it's not a blockchain and they use slightly different infrastructure to facilitate it. And then uh, there are a lot of projects as well that are working in the in the commons space and creating tools for that. So I think that should be very interesting for people who are on the left and re so that we can rethink about how we use common resources rather than subjecting it to the market, essentially. So it's very interesting how the blockchain can provide these democratic tools and what actually amazing things could pro probably come to fruition in the future. Yeah. Those are those are all the questions I have for you. Th I want again thank you for coming on, giving us your input on how blockchains are appealing to democratic socialists. Do you want to tell people where to find you online if they want to follow you and learn more? And I'll post the links in the show notes. Yeah, sure. So uh, if you want to follow me specifically on Twitter, I have a Twitter account. My handle is at idm. S B F T M O D. What does that mean? Um, so, <laughs> so it actually comes from. Uh, do you know? Um, do you know the band uh, Temple of the Dog? I don't was, think so. No. It was like a band that existed for like half a minute, but it was you know the the singers of Pearl Jam and um, okay and Audio Slave or no oh, fuck Chris Cornell. They have a they created a, a band for a little bit. They really released one album. 
and uh, the lyrics of one of their songs called Hunger Strike is um, I don't mind stealing bread from the mouths of decadence. Uh, so I just like took the I was listening to that song. I just like put the first letters of all those because I could think of a good bit of a handle. <laughs> That's funny. Sorry to interrupt you. Continue on. You were telling people where to find you. <laughs> yeah. So, so, or, or you can probably just look up uh, the blockchain socialist. I think uh, the Twitter the Twitter search bar will also find me there. And then I have the um, yeah the subreddit r slash crypto leftists. So I post all of the articles that I publish or the podcasts that I do there. Um, every Sunday Um, and then we also have uh, on the subreddit there's an invite link you can click to our discord channel where I also post it there and there's we sort of have a community with different channels for people to uh, to speak about specific things within the crypto left space that we're trying to push for and then you have my site at theblockchainsocialist.com you can sign up for the newsletter that I have I haven't started it yet but I promise I'll get to it at some point. Well, that's great. Thank you for your input into the community. I'll definitely look forward to seeing your next posts, and uh, hopefully, we can yeah. do we can talk again in the future. Keep yeah, in touch. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Check out the show notes if you want to know more about today's content. And thanks for tuning in to episode 14 of the Having Report.